we're set. Yeah, let's prepare ourselves for studying God's Word this evening. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. And during that time, we have the option of rebound if necessary. So, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness that we have nothing to fear. The news every night gets bleaker and bleaker. And it seems like so many people are desperate. And yet this is not even hardly the beginning of what's coming. We're so thankful that we have You. You are our rock, our stability, our foundation. And we look forward to all the great things that You are going to do for us and through us. So we pray that you will help us tonight to concentrate, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Got an email today I thought I would pass on to you, just to interject a little levity into our proceedings here. One Sunday morning, the pastor of a church noticed little Alex standing in the foyer of the church, starting a staring up at a large plaque. It was covered with names and small American flags mounted on either side of it. The six-year-old had been standing at the plaque for some time, so the pastor walked up, stood beside the little boy, and said quietly, Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Pastor, he replied, still focused on the plaque. Pastor, what is this? And the pastor said, Well, son, it's a memorial to all the young men and women who died in the service. And soberly, they uh, stood there together, staring at the plaque. And finally, Alex's little voice said, barely audible and trembling with fear, asked, which service, the 8.30 or the 10.30? I know what he means. (laughs) Okay. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 8. For now we really live... If you stand firm in the Lord. We went over this last time. And we went over verses that had to do with standing firm in the Lord. And this isn't all the verses, even though I gave you several. There are many more that doesn't necessarily use the exact word, standing firm for the Lord, or standing firm in the faith. There are many more verses that are saying it in different ways. So, we went through these verses. I'll just read them very quickly to you to put you on the, uh, to remind you. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. 2 Corinthians 1, 24. But we work with you for your joy, for your stand, for, so for you to stand firm in your faith. Galatians 5, 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist the devil in the day and uh, the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Philippians 1.27 Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whenever... Or whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 4.1 Therefore, my beloved, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Titus 1.9 He must hold to the trustworthy word, as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. 
So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. That's where we ended. We have two more tonight to add to those. The first one is Hebrews 3.14. Hebrews 3.14. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So that is a third class conditional clause there. If we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's just pause at that one for just a minute. What does it mean to, for we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end? If that's the third class conditional clause, it means maybe we will and maybe we won't. Can anyone take that for we share in Christ in a positional way? I see some heads moving horizontal. That's good. No, this is not positional. This is experiential. This has to do with sharing Christ in His glorification, in His exaltation, in His rewards. I was thinking uh, today, because I was reading another book. (laughs) Who was that I was talking to just the other day? In high school, you could not hold a gun to my head and have me read a book. No way. Uh, I wouldn't even read the funny papers. And I've read three books this week already. And I just um, I can't seem to get enough. But in any case, the book that I was reading today was talking about how if a believer really gets what our purpose is, we say it's to glorify Christ. And that's true. But in order to glorify Christ, we have to get in the game. My frame of reference is uh, sports, specifically playing football. If you're a believer, you're on the team. And I, When I played uh, football in Little League and junior high and high school and college, at that time, you didn't play if you weren't good. I mean, you had to be good enough to play. They didn't play people. Not everybody played. They just they were there to win, and if you uh, excelled in whatever position you played, whatever, then you would play. Now, if the score got was run up high enough and they felt safe, then they would play the other players sometimes. But what I was, th- I was thinking about this, and I thought, every believer is on the team. But there are a lot of people that come out of the out of the dressing room, they go out and all the stands are there and every people yells and they go over and sit on the bench and they sit on the bench to the halftime. Then they go back in into the dressing room during the half. And they come back out again. You can always spot them because their uniform is spotless. And they go back and they sit on the bench till the game is over and then they go back into the dressing room again. And those people really don't know what the game is all about because they're they're really no different than the spectators because uh, they're sitting on the sidelines watching. It's just that they didn't have to play, uh, have to pay. The, the 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 fans do, but they don't. So, I was thinking about this with regards to our purpose in life. There are so many bent sitters when it comes to believers. They're sitting on the sidelines, and one reason they're sitting on the sidelines is because if you're going to go into the game and play. You have to know what to do. You have to know the plays, especially if you're on offense. When I was in in high school and college especially, we always kind of, well, we didn't look down at the defense. That was to be dangerous because these guys are, we call them headhunters, very aggressive. And now I know things have changed because they have different plays and formations and so forth on defense. And when the offense changes their their configuration, the way that they're lined up, the defense has to be able to recognize that someone will call out a number and you get into another type of defense. But back then when I was playing, it wasn't that way. If you're on defense, it's just kill whoever has the ball. 
That was the idea. Just go after the ball, whoever is there, knock them down and get the ball. And so that didn't take a whole lot of uh, training. But what I'm trying to say is if you didn't know the plays, you couldn't get in and play. And that's why so many believers are sitting on the sidelines today is because they don't know the plays. They don't know what to do. They don't even know what the Word has to, God has to say about hardly anything. Even the most fundamental and the most important doctrines that has to do with soteriology, that is, of their own salvation, they don't even know those well enough to say with certainty that they're going to heaven. And so they're going to be sitting on the sideline all this time. But those who know the place, so you have to have knowledge. God uses prepared believers. You're going to be in the game. And when you're in the game, you're going to get knocked down. I mean, if it's football and if it's life. You get down there and you're going to get knocked down, but the good thing about it, you get to do some knocking down yourself. At least for football players, that's in that mentality. We, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy to run across field and hit somebody with a side body block and just flatten them right out across the field. Uh, I wasn't trying to hurt them. It's just, you know, guys are kind of rough like that sometimes. And if you don't do that, then you're probably going to be the one that gets hurt. Because if you ever let up or if you're ever afraid that you're going to get hurt, that's when you get hurt. But if you're out there and you're acting like a headhunter, you're aggressive. And you're out there trying to knock other people down, you're less apt to get knocked down. But as a whole thing, by the time the game is over, it's nearly like a, a whole play or a movie or something. There's been so many things that were going on, so many strategies so many, sometimes you'll see a weakness here. You've got to strengthen it here. You've got to call another different play over here. And it challenges you to go, to, to reach in deep inside when you're so tired and you hurt and you're thirsty and you want more than anything just to sit down, but there's still time on the clock and you have to keep grinding it out. That's why they call it the gridiron. And that's what life is like. But you know what? After the game is over, and you're victorious, it's the players who were out there on the field that knew the plays and were executing it, they are the ones that really have the glory. Now, I know the, the, the ones that were sitting on the bench, they're part of the team, and they are happy also. But they will never experience the glory and the victory of being out there on that, on that field and being part of it. And that's what we see here when we say, for we share in Christ. Share in Christ what? His victory. His glory. And it's, I don't know how many of you have ever been, uh, probably maybe some of you have been out on the field when there's, there might be 30,000 people all around you and they're all shouting, you're all excited, it was a hard game and you just won. But it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, lift. It's, it's a, a sense of exaltation. At that point, it seems like nothing else matters. It's just, <clears throat> it's just wonderful. It's, it's probably then is probably the only time that uh, when a when a guy is out on, on the field that he hears the crowd. The rest of the time, it's just not. It's just background noise. You can't pay any attention to the crowd. But when the game's over and they're all cheering, the band's playing the fight song and all this, uh, it's, it's good. And if you take that and multiply it times 100 billion, that's what this is talking about when it says, for we shall share in Christ. But it's talking about those who are on the field, those who are playing. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, I know that I'm preaching to the choir here that I don't have to prove to any of you the importance of doctrine or that doctrine works or how important it is that you continue to have that faith so that faith is growing the more that you take in the Word. And that confidence is so important because when you quit believing in the Word of God, then essentially what happens is God will send you on the bench. You're no, longer on, you're no longer out there in the playing field. 
you're not experiencing the joy and the pain and the exhilaration and the and the all the things that are going on out there. You're just sitting on the sideline. That's what so many believers are doing today. They're just kind of dead. They have no exuberation. They have no uh, feel of loss. It's just marking time. And so there's a lot more in this verse that meets the eye. That's what it means for we share in Christ. We're in Christ. Every believer is in Christ, but it's not talking about just being related positionally to Jesus Christ. It's talking about being completely in Him, in the battle, and suffering for Christ. Suffering with Christ and for Christ is part of that battle. And those are the ones that are going to be victorious and have rewards. The next verse is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. None of us experience unique suffering. None of us have a unique story. It's all happened before, and it's happening now. And I dare say that there's not a person here that can say, I'm suffering more than anyone ever has ever suffered. Probably the truth of it is, is that we suffer less than the great majority of Christians on this earth. Because there are believers all over this planet that suffer in the sense that if they carry a Bible, if they even speak the name Jesus Christ, their very life is at stake. They've lost their homes. They've lost their families. Some have lost everything. The only thing they have is their life, but they may be in prison somewhere. This is kind of foreign to us. It's hard for us to imagine that for ourselves because we still have a measure of freedom today. But there's no guarantee that we'll continue to have that. That can change any time. So when you know that there are others that are experiencing the same thing, it helps you to resist him. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Resist him. Who is him? Who's it talking about? Y'all know we just went over this. It's Satan, remember? How do you resist him? Standing firm in the faith. We don't go on the prowl like Satan does. We don't pick fights with demons. But we can always resist them by standing firm in the faith, knowing our doctrine and applying it. Those are some great verses, aren't they? It just gives us confidence. And I challenge every one of you to be a player, not the world's type player. To the world, the player is someone who is immoral, someone who has used other people, and has no sense of gratitude is really just a jerk. But you can be a player for God, and with the analogy that I gave you, be on that field, and you can anticipate that great victory that is going to be celebrated. Actually, the victory is already won, but we can, we can think ahead of time of that great victory. Okay, now, here we go. I asked you last time, what words come to mind when a believer is not standing firm? That was the question. <laughs> I mean, always we talk about standing firm on the positive side, and that's fine. I mean, we need to do that. We need to be encouraged and exhorted to stand firm. And we know the only way you can stand firm is to continue to have that spiritual momentum moving forward and to consistently get God's Word into our soul so we can be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. We know all of those things, but what we hardly ever focus on is what happens if we don't. What if we don't stand firm? What's the big deal about that? Because when people start slacking off, they get distracted, other things become more important. The next thing you know, you don't see them around very often. The next thing you know, you don't see them at all. And to them, they think, well, it's no big deal. Uh, the world hasn't come to the end. I don't go to Bible class quite so much. But what's the big deal? It doesn't matter. 
And the reason I'm asking this is because if you start focusing on the other side of the coin, it matters a great deal. You are either standing firm for the faith or you are suffering the consequences for not standing firm for the faith. And that's essentially what I'm asking you to do is come up with some words that come to mind if you're not standing firm for the faith, what words come to your mind that would be appropriate? Somebody just raise your hand. Just tell me what it is. Pete. Okay. Walking in carnality and in, in, in reversionism. Okay. What that's saying is this is what happens if you're not standing firm for the faith. That's what you're doing. You're walking in carnality and you may become a reversionistic believer. But I'm looking for words that would describe that. What are the things, uh, adjectives? Yes, ma'am, in the back. Well, just one at a time. What does shaky mean? I have 24 words written down, and shaky isn't one of them, but I'll add it to it. <laughs> shaky. Shaky to me sounds like another word that I do have down. What do people do when they're shaking? What, 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 what's happening to them? Huh? Fear. Okay. So who said fear? Somebody? Okay. Pardon? Okay, wait a minute. Let me get these. I'm going to mark the ones that are said to see if I have more than y'all can come up with. So we had fear. Where's my fear on here? Okay. I just have afraid. That would be afraid. So we all know this is... Y'all can, by the way, if you want to, you can mark these down and see if you can come up with more than I do. Uh, frightened or being afraid. Certainly, if you're not standing firm, you're not using the divine, uh, that, the divine perspective and you're not trusting, you're not faith resting, so you're going to be afraid. What's another one? Stagnant. Okay, I'm going to add that one. I didn't have stagnant. That's a good one. You're stagnated. In other words, you're not moving, you're not moving forward. You're just stagnant. So we got afraid and stagnant. What's some more words? Arrogant. So far, y'all haven't got one that I got yet. <laughs> and I've got 24 words. Okay. But that's good. It, you are arrogant. You know, one thing about it, when you're talking about being out of fellowship, sin, or anything else, you can just put the title of that, arrogant, because that's what we are. Every time we get into carnality, we're arrogant. So that's a good one, George. What's more? Miserable. Aha, I have miserable. You saw it on my list? You are a fast looker. <laughs> miserable. Okay. If you're not standing firm. All right. Why would you be miserable? Yeah, you, you, you have no confidence. Uh, you're, not, you're operating on your power. We already said that you're going to be afraid. And so, uh, and I could tell you a lot of other things on my list here that would, but it, you are absolutely miserable. All right, what's some more? Ashamed? Ashamed of the gospel. That's another. Well, y'all are going to come up with more than I am afraid here. Ashamed. A lot of people are ashamed of themselves. Sometimes they're ashamed to stand firm for the faith because it doesn't make them popular. People will think that they're odd. People will think that. They're some kind of religious kook, and so they're ashamed. Okay, what else? Walking in darkness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, walking. In, okay, I'm going to limit this to one word. <laughs> one word descriptions, okay? Vulnerable. Do I have vulnerable? No. Vulnerable. Of course, we know what that means. You're not. You're not. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not going to say it. Why would we be vulnerable? You don't have confidence. But what happens is, life is a minefield. Everywhere there are lies and deceptions. And if you're not standing firm for the faith, it means you're vacillating. And any wind of doctrine that comes by, you can you can get dis dis distracted by it, or you you can accept it. And so you're vulnerable to the lies and deceptions of Satan. 
What else? Instability. Aha! I have instability. Instability. Where is it? <laughs> yeah. We'll have it. Shaky and instability. We're going to say that's the one and the same there. So I have instability. I have unstable. Okay. What else? Yes, Art. One word. Resist. Well, you're not resist if you're if you're. I'm, these are things that you do when you're not standing firm. If you're not standing firm, you're not. Res- you said you're not resisting, right? Okay. Well, that's two words, but I'll take it. What do you say? Okay, you'll be devoured. <laughs> be devoured. This isn't working the way I thought it was. I thought y'all were going to be naming the ones that I have. Go ahead. I have... Uh... Oh, who said that? Did you... Did... Oh, you have to know. <laughs> An honest woman. If you have the notes, turn them face down. <laughs> Finally, someone has one that I've got on it, and they, they're looking at my notes. Okay. So what was it? Did she say confused? Confused is my number one. That's the first one. Whenever you're not standing firm for the faith, you are confused. So, one word, yes. Insecure. Do I have insecure? Um, well, you know the list. She printed out the list. Vain. I think I'm just going to have to read mine out because none of these are mine. But that's okay. What's some more? It, it, different minds, different strokes, you know? Huh? You know, I thought, lost? Well, that would be kind of like confused. Any more? Anybody got any that's on my list without looking at the list? Failure? Okay, they're failure. I don't have that. Not alone not having the Lord, though. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and read what I have because this is not working. <laughs> I mean, it's okay, but uh, here's something I have. Uh, how about angry? When you're not standing firm for the faith, you usually are mad at somebody, and a lot of times it's God. Then I have also deceived. You're easily going to be deceived because you don't have the Word circulating in your soul and you will believe the lies. I also have vindictive because you're not, you're not uh, obeying God. And you're, Does everybody know what vindictive means? It means to strike back at somebody. I'll get you. They have a vindictive attitude, unforgiving and so forth. Worried. Oh, this next one, I hate to tell you. But it's on the list. Impatient. Isn't that true? If you're not standing firm in the faith, you're going to be impatient. God isn't doing it quick enough, and you're going to start doing it your way. How about ungrateful? Huh? Isn't ungrateful good? Weak? You become immoral? And if you're not standing firm for the faith, who are you going to be concentrating on? Are you going to be more uh, Christocentric or are you going to be more uh, self-centered? Self-centered and a self-centered person often has self-pity. Things aren't going your way, so you throw a big pity party. Implacability. Everybody knows what's implacability. Someone has wronged you and they want 
to be forgiven and you won't forgive them. That's implacability. Here's one. How about doubt? If you're not standing firm for the faith, it kind of goes with confused to a degree, but you start doubting the things that you used to believe. How about revenge? Revenge is close to vindictiveness, but revenge is an actual um, desire and usually a desire that's carried out to get even. Here's another one. How about manipulative? If you're not standing firm for the faith, it means you're not doing it God's way. You're going to do it your way. And when you do it your way, you're going to be manipulative. You're going to try to manipulate other people. You're going to be conniving and, and, and strategizing to do it your way. How about inconsiderate? Selfish? How about divine discipline? Will that fall into play? Are you becoming distracted? What's funny? I wonder what's funny. What distracted is one word? Well, I don't. I added the divine. You saw the list. It just says discipline here. <laughs> okay, they caught me on my own rule. Okay, just discipline. <laughs> yeah. Okay, how about being disobedient or just? Disobedient, disobedience, you'll be disheartened, you're going to be really down, discouraged. Okay, you get the point. So here, I'm just going to read the list. Yes, you got one? Yeah, but nobody knows the depths of carnality like that. I mean, it's true, they're all carnality. Um, I'm going to read the, my words and your words together so you'll see the other side of the coin. So if you're not standing firm, this is what you have to look forward to. You'll be confused, afraid, angry, deceived, miserable, vindictive, worried, impatient, ungrateful, weak, immoral, self, full of self-pity, implacable, have doubts, be revengeful, manipulative, disciplined, Disciplined, inconsiderate, selfish. There's one I didn't say. Coward. You're, you're going to run, uh, run away. Be distracted, disobedient, disheartened, discouraged, vain, shaky, stagnant, arrogant, ashamed, vulnerable. Uh, not resist. <laughs> I love that one, remember. And uh, be devoured, lonely, and be a failure. Okay, that's enough words to give us the idea that we do not want to be on the other side of that coin, do we? We want to be on the side where we stand firm for the faith. Because, See, here's the thing. A lot of people think that if you're not standing firm for the faith, you're just kind of neutral. No big deal. But what I'm saying, it is a big deal because all these things come into play when you're not standing firm for the faith. And there they are right there. There are mine. Judges others. I think she added that one. This doesn't have a... This is I am here. There's no I here. Judges others is two words, but I think she sneaked that in when she was editing. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. Here we go. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now, that's one sentence, verse 9 and 10. Paul had the proper response when, the good, when he heard the good news, and that is he was thanking God for it. And he didn't try to take any credit for the good report. Remember in James 1.17? For where does every good gift and every perfect gift come? From above. And so we hear Paul. He hears the good news. And the first thing he does is express what thanks can we give to God. I mean, this is a 
a, a way of saying there's no way that we can give him the thanks that he deserves. And Paul took no credit for it at all. Paul was there and he made sacrifices and he taught them. And because of what Paul did, they grew spiritually, were able to stand firm for the faith. He hears it now. He's rejoicing. But he takes zero credit for it. And any Bible communicator who does is, has lost his way. Because everything that the communicator gets, he gets from God first, and it's all because of grace. And when a, a, a communicator communicates the Word, it's because it's been given to him first. He's, he's, he didn't originate the Word. And even if he's able to impart it in a, in a very understandable, maybe even in a dynamic way, it doesn't matter. This all comes from God. So uh, what I'm saying is, it's always God that gets the credit, not the communicator. And he doesn't even start to go there. In fact, he said, I must decrease and he, Christ, must increase. Here's a few, few uh, verses on that. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God fulfilling His whole plan. Uh, this book I was reading today was saying, you've got to get the gist and the purpose for why God wants you to grow up, why He is in you to both will and work for His good pleasure. His good pleasure is for Christ to be glorified. And Christ is going to be glorified whether you are blessed because you're on the, out there on the field or you're going to be curse because you're not on the field, because you're a, you have negative volition. Either way, God is going to be glorified, but we want to be glorified, uh, glorify Christ because we reflect His glory by growing up. 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, and 9. Now, I, I went to the King James Version here because it's a little different from our verse. Look at our verse here. Verse 9 says, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which, with which we rejoice before our God on your account? It doesn't have the same resonance as the King James says here because it uses the joy both times. For This is its, it's the King James Version. For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy, that's a noun, and the Greek word there is kara, C-H-A-R-A, wherewith we joy, again, we have the word joy, only this time it's a verb, and it's uh, kairomen, for your sakes before God. So you have joy twice there. The first time it's as a noun, the second time it's as a verb. The joy... The first joy refers to the inner joy of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit and thinking divine viewpoint. The second joy is the outward expression of inner joy. You see why you can see it better in the King James? Because when you go up here to the New American Standard, when you get to, uh, it says, for all the joy with which we rejoice. Rejoice doesn't have the same connection with joy as just using the word again, which the King James Version does. Do you see that? Uh, well, in the King James, it's... Uh, I, I think this is just eight in the King James. Is it nine, eight and nine? It's just nine. Okay, it should be just nine there. Thank you. I'll get rid of that eight. This is verse 9, right? Okay. Okay, 3-9. Yeah, this is just 3-9 in the King James. And it, comparing that with our verse 9, I should have just had it verse 9. I don't know how it came over in 3-8 and 9. See where you have joy and rejoice in verse 9 in the New American, but in the... King James, you have joy and joy. And that's easier when you see it that way. You, you, you can make the connection on each. You, the, the first joy is a noun, which is what you have on the inside of you as a believer, the inner joy, the inner happiness. 
as you're thinking divine viewpoint and executing God's plan. And then the other kind of joy, which is uh, Kairoman. Actually, it's Cairo is the uh, dictionary form, C-H-A-I-R-O, only it would be an omega instead of omnicrown, and that would just be uh, I joy. But this is plural, so it's Kairoman. You add the M-E-N uh, ending to it, which makes it plural. So you have Kara, which is joy inside, wherewith we joy. We experience the joy for your sakes before God. So I, I thought that the King James makes that connection better. So you can have joy inside of you, inner joy, which you're not always, you don't always have Cairo, do you? The, the, or as a group, we would say Cairoman. We're not always expressing our joy, are we? Well, you're certainly not doing it now. <laughs> I look like a, like a bunch of stone faces out there. <laughs> uh, no, but there are times when we do that you have sometimes in an outward way that now he read it or someone read it he did but he's a lot what are we going to have for and sometimes we are about their thing you you know I'm and to be like of course emotions are two edged sword we have them they can go off on the dial but emotion, it's a kind of a physical thing. The adrenaline and all the others are fine. It's about doctrine, but it's also about getting excited sometimes also. It's not a sin to get excited about the Lord. I bought that letter and he read it. And there's probably somebody that, no, Michael. It can be anything from just... Just a, just a pleasant, mm, yeah, I'm really glad of that. And it can be, you know, off the charts, just so happy you don't know how to express it. But what I'm saying, we have to be careful that we can't go to someone who is really excited about something and saying, oh, you know, you're, getting, you're letting your emotions get a hold of you here. In the second chapter of Joel, it talks about people are going to be losing it in the millennium when they see Christ face to face, and it's going to be legitimate. Yes, sir. We understand rejoice. But the word rejoice does not connect to the word joy as much as the King James showing it as the same word. See, it's the it's the uh, joy that he's talking about expressing it in the rejoicing. But the reason he is rejoicing outwardly is because he already had the inner joy there to begin with. And when you use the same word in the same verse, it, you can make the connection a little easier. Yeah, the word... Is, well, you have... See, you have kara, C-H-A-R-A, which is a noun. And the Cairo, C-H-A-I-R-O is really a cognate of that. You can even see how close it is. It's just like in the, um, in the word um, pistis is the noun, and pistuo is the verb. See, that, that one, one's a noun, one's a verb, but they're really close. They even sound close. And kara and cairo is very close the same way. So in the Greek, it's even closer, and the King James even gave it the same word. I mean, translate it, by joy. And the reason I like that King James because it, it goes back to the inner joy that he had already. That's why he was able to express it outwardly. So we, uh, you know, in this church, we have a very academic atmosphere, and that's good because we're students of the Word and we study the Word. But it's okay if somebody... Um, has an expression of joy. Now, I'm not saying that we're all going to start saying hallelujah, praise the Lord, and we're going to raise our hands and run around and all that. I'm not saying that. But I don't want anyone to get the idea that if they do have an overwhelming emotion when, they, when something connects with them 
while the Word is being taught or something that comes along, you don't feel guilty for that. That is fine and that is right and it's good. It's just that anything that goes off the charts in any way, it's not in balance, it's not good. And we don't want people distracting uh, by showing all their emotions because then you get off into Pentecostalism. But um, recently I heard someone here say, Amen. I said something and they really connected with it, and they said, Amen. And later they said, they apologized to me for saying that. I said, don't apologize. Do not ever apologize because that happened in the right way, in the right time, the right thing. Because this person so connected with what I said that they could not keep it in. Just before they knew it, they said, Amen. And I don't. that's fine as far as I'm concerned. The only problem is some people can get to where they have Amen contests. You know, who can say Amen the loudest and the most uh, times? <laughs> Uh, they're, they're not. Uh, I've been times when I've been, uh, even in Baraka Church, where this was not done. But there's been times when I felt like, my goodness, holding my mouth shut because what, what the uh, pastor was saying was so great. I just want to say, I agree, it's wonderful, it's absolutely fantastic. Amen. Uh, you know, this is just what kind of comes out from inside. I didn't do it. <laughs> but I felt that way. You know, you go to a lot of the black churches, and you'd be surprised. I guess many of you, not many of you have gone to many black churches. But uh, their worship style is altogether different. And there would be, I know, a lot of people that would be really quick to condemn them. But listen, they let it loose when they feel led, when they have something welling inside of them that is, is an expression of thanksgiving and of uh, it just comes out. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to turn this church into a Pentecostal holy roller. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I've had one time I had a lady come here and uh, she visited. She came up. She had a wonderful message. She said, I like to keep coming here. She says, but I just want to make sure it's okay if you, with you if I raise my hands from time to time. And I said, well, I'd rather you not. She said, why not? I said, because it's distracting. She said, no hallelujahs or praise the Lord. I said, no. I said, I, I'm glad that you feel that way, but the atmosphere here is one of learning. And when you, pray, when you wave your hands and do all this, people lose track what they're focusing on and distracting. That's why we don't, I'd really rather you not do that. I went to a, what they called a cantata one time. This was way years ago before I was ever a pastor. Uh, somebody taught me into going to one of these things. And I had to rebound the whole time because this woman in front of me stood up like this the whole I couldn't even see what was going on. And I wanted so bad to grab her by the shoulders and slam her back down in the chair. It's like, sit! Of course, that doesn't. <laughs> I would have been very happy to do that. <laughs> so it's distracting. But I guess what I'm telling you is if you ever get to the point to where you cannot keep it in because you are so like this person did, it just came out before they knew it, you will get no a rebuke from me. So, uh, I'm not looking, by, by the way, I'm not looking for amens either. I don't want you to get that idea either. I've seen a, so many evangelists and people on TV says, now I'm going to tell you a sentence. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Okay. And I just made a good point. Do I hear an amen? You know, that's, that's not what it's about either. There has to be a balance. And in my very feeble way, I am trying to tell you that Paul was exuberant. This word, chiroman, means he was expressing joy. How would you know that he's expressing joy if he didn't show it by saying something? Or You'd have to be able to see it. That's what expressing joy is, isn't it? 
So we don't want to be just stone-faced, stoic people who are look like we have no appreciation and, and no exuberance or enthusiasm. I hope I'm not getting myself in trouble here, but I, I did the best I could with explaining um, it's okay to be excited about Jesus Christ. And however that manifests itself, as long as you're not distracting other people and saying amen here or there, or whatever it may be, uh, no, I better not say whatever it may be. <laughs> I'll just put say amen. If you want to say amen, I'm not going to rebuke you, but even then it's got to be somehow in balance. No, I don't think cartwheels. We don't have enough room anyway uh, for cartwheels. You know, I've never had anybody here do all that razzmatazz. I guess because we're a smaller church, but usually the larger churches, uh, the pastors from time to time have to deal with that because this is how some people worship. We've had visitors here before that when I was uh, speaking, they would amen now and again, uh, funerals and things of that sort. I guess more than anything, I I don't want you to be criticizing them or judging them for doing that because they're just expressing their joy and there's nothing wrong with expressing joy. But when we are assembled together, you have to be careful that you're not distracting other people. But we don't want to be a dead congregation to where we have to be so on our P's and Q's that when we have a, 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 <clears throat> a great appreciation that we aren't free to show it in some fashion. And I'll leave it at that. And now, I'm out of time. I didn't mean to spend that much time on that, but... Uh... <laughs> I knew that was coming. See, uh... Now, whenever I say we're just about out of time, I can start hearing amens all across. <laughs> See, that's why I knew I was, was uh, uh, had somewhat trepidation in even going there. But I hope you got my point. It's okay to be excited and being expressing the inner joy about Jesus Christ. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time. We recognize that we live in desperate times and they're going to get worse but we have everything to be excited about and even to be exuberant about because you are our god you are our protector and our provider we have your promises we have faith rest we have a personal sense of destiny we have everything to look forward to so It's altogether right for us to express on the outside what is on the inside of us. And many times that's just telling others about how great you are. May we never be hesitant in any way or try to reframe or curtail our expression of joy about you. So we pray that you will help us sort all these things out and continue to Trust on your in your grace that's always sufficient, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.